Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talk, talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. The honest truth is, Rob, no. <laughs> um, after Manchester United's performance today, I'm not in a sparkling mood, if the truth no. be told. Mm. Yes, we'll get onto that. James, now we'll start with uh, the 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 defeat at Anfield. Liverpool seven, Manchester United nil. Uh, James, um, terrible defeat. <laughs> Obviously, Liverpool at Anfield is such a you know difficult team, difficult place to play. Uh, but absolute capitulation uh, from Hentagsmen. Yeah. I mean, throughout the entirety of the season, we've been praising Eric Ten Hag for his minerals and how well he's done. And amazingly, this is coming off the back of winning the League Cup, one of our best wins in years. And then suddenly, under the pressure of the Anfield spectators, we completely collapse. And it's it's pretty abysmal, Rob. And all this momentum we generated from that victory of Wembley has almost been cast aside. Yeah. Obviously, uh, let's look back in the history books, James. He also lost 7-0 to Blackburn Rovers on the 10th of April 1926 uh, against Aston Villa on the 27th of December 1930 and Wolverhampton in 1931 on Boxing Day. So it doesn't happen very often, uh, but that second half for me was unacceptable. Obviously, Liverpool are a top, top team, but you've got to learn how to stop the rock. Games against Liverpool are so important to everyone, the fan base, the players, the club, uh, and this will live long in the memory for both sets of uh, supporters and both clubs. It most certainly will, Rob. And that 1931 Boxing Day sounds like it would have ruined my Christmas. <laughs> be choking on your turkey, James, when it comes up on the on the on the sports report. Uh, Liverpool just, uh, yeah, the uh, defeat to Wolverhampton Wanderers seven nil. I'm sure there'll be a few uh, Manchester United fans back in the day, sort of rubbing their eyes in in disbelief. Oh, choking on the pigs and blankets, Rob. It would have, <laughs> well, even would have ruined Die Hard for me. <laughs> Let's now get back into that, whether the Die Hard's a, a Christmas film or not. I'm sure our listeners will, will remember the man and James' little uh, discussion on our Christmas show about whether uh, Bruce Willis is the, 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 uh, the Grinch of Christmas or not. Well, I, obviously, at the time, Rob, I deemed him the saviour. But uh, that's by the by. I actually stumbled across that clip the other day. and It was as amusing as the day we recorded it. But this <laughs> Manchester United result, from our perspective, was anything but amusing. And... Not just the League Cup, we're coming off that massive win over Barcelona to put us into the last 16 of the Europa League. This week, we're playing Real Betis, and how do we go into this fixture? Are we going to be you know, back to our best, gathering all the momentum from the Barcelona game and the League Cup victory, and that's going to drive us through? Or are we completely capitulated now and we're going to mess this up? It's certainly a shock to the system, James, because obviously we've been on a good run, haven't we, with, with the, the League Cup win and, you know, results. But Man United have been playing really every three days for the last couple of months. So it's it's kind of a, a problem for Ten Hag's men with fatigue. And obviously, you know, going into that Real Betis game, it's a, it's a big game in it as well. And, and they need to be on it, on, on that game at home, in front of the Old Trafford faithful. You know, the fans will be wanting a reaction after that defeat uh, against Liverpool. And we're hoping that we'll get one. But it's going to be difficult. Obviously, Real Betis are a very good team. 
and obviously we'll have to wait and see what happens there but yeah it'll be interesting to see James what happens in the next few weeks and how the players sort of react psychologically uh, you know moving forward I'm not overly confident but if, if you cast your mind back to the start of the season we had those two appalling defeats didn't we right off the bat against teams that we shouldn't have been losing against so hopefully this can be a bit of a rinse and repeat for Eric Ten Hag. Yes, this is a stumbling block. It's an embarrassing one. And it's just outright terrible. But he's recovered before and I'm hoping he can do it again. Yeah, that's the sign of a good manager. It's a big test for him because obviously, you know, like I said, Liverpool are, you know, one of our rivals and he will, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be a, a fly in that dressing room as the, the door shuts after being walloped 7 0 uh, against Liverpool. But I'm sure he, there was a few home truths uh, spoken in that, in that dressing rooms. And the players are going to hurt, obviously, they'll know how important the fixture is. But it's up to Ten Hag and his coaching staff now to build the players back up and and hope, like you say, it's just a little blip in the road rather than a, a chasm uh, United fell down. Absolutely. I mean, I can't remember which game it was, but it was after one of our early defeats. Eric Ten Hag gathered every player in the rocker room and gave them all a little bit of time to talk through what had gone wrong and express it to the rest of their teammates. I imagine right now he'll be employing a, a pretty similar strategy. And for these players, where do you think it went wrong? Well, I, I, the second half, Liverpool just just got on a roll. We, we know how good Liverpool are with the you know the pass and move uh, you know philosophy that Jurgen Klopp has brought in. And I mean, I just couldn't deal with it. And you know, they were shipping goals left, right, and centre. And instead of being disciplined and, and just stopping the rot every player just sort of their head lost it. They just couldn't seem to process what was going on. And in that atmosphere at Anfield and players, Liverpool players playing one twos willy nilly, um, United just were all over the show and it was it was a it was a bad, bad day at the office for Ten Hag's men. But like you said, we you know we, we have to get over it because we are still, you know, obviously still nine points behind City, four points ahead of Spurs, so we're banging them in the mix for a European uh, Cup spot, Champions League spot next season. Uh, but it's a blip in the road; it's got to be. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But for Liverpool, a team who've not been playing well by their own brilliant expectations, is this going to turn things around for them? It's interesting, James, because obviously you know there was a lot of pressure on uh, on Klopp uh, in the last few weeks, and Liverpool fans were getting a bit anxious because obviously you know that they are the kings of Europe and and they think they should be you know the top of the Premier League by default. So to see them struggling sort of the mid table, um, fans were asking questions, but. Big win against Manchester United is just what the supporters want, um, and they'll want to you know get up back up towards the, the top of the Premier League ASAP. It will be difficult, but with any team that, that beat Man United, in my opinion, it's always the next game. See how they react in their next league fixture. If they can continue the the run um, and and you know win another game and and carry on that march to a to a Champions League spot, then you know great, but. If they stumble, then we'll we'll know it's the you know it's the the way teams usually do against Man United. Play out your skin one week, drop two points the next. And this weekend we're playing Southampton, a team who who've just picked up a win, but in general have been pretty poor this season. Currently standing in nineteenth place in the relegation zone, but only a point from freedom. And off the back of this Manchester United defeat, they'll view this as an opportunity to pounce on a wounded animal. Mm. 
and obviously new new coach bounce as well, which you've got to think about. Southampton, you know, are scrapping down near the bottom of the, the Premier League and every game is crucial for them. So it will be interesting to see sort of how Hentag's men react to that defeat if they get into the arm wrestle with, with Southampton and, you know, the confidence starts to drop. You could see Sam Fampton nick a point at Old Trafford, and, and that continues then the, the downward spiral in confidence that the, the United boys will, will be suffering. But if we can go our way, go you know out, play the football that Hentag wants us to play, then you know we, who, who knows we can get a result against Southampton. Um, obviously, we've got Real Betis in midweek, uh, but obviously, we'll have to play them in a few weeks' time. So, we, we just need to keep, we need to find a way to get that momentum going going again because we're getting towards the, the business end of the season. Now, March, April, May is when the winners and losers are defined. So, if it's uh, Ten Hags, once he's men on the winning podium, he's got to match them there. He most certainly does. And a team that hasn't marched to the beat of their own drum this week is Newcastle. Off the back of losing that League Cup fixture to Manchester United, they have now lost to Manchester City. 2-0, Foden and Silva bagging the goals in that particular fixture. And do you think this has brought the St. Jim's faithful back down to earth? It may have done. Obviously, defeat in the League Cup and obviously defeat against Man City. Newcastle wants to be a team in that top four um, sort of placement, aren't they? And... That will they know where they are? Obviously, after them two defeats, will they be able to use it as a, a springboard to to know this is where we've got to be? This is level we have to play. They will be disappointed going down two 0 to Man City, but you got to remember Man City were at home. Uh, Phil Foden playing out of his skin. Uh, Arsenal are in front, so City do need to chase. So I'm thinking obviously Newcastle will be disappointed, but they know there's plenty more games to go and their aim is to get in the four and then build for next season. Because if they do continue to progress like they have done, James, and getting into a League Cup final and possibly, you know, next, you know in the future FA Cup finals, Premier League title shootouts, you know, people become more aware of Newcastle United and with the big money behind them they can attract a bigger set of bigger players just like Man City have done uh, and you see where they are now it took City a few years I'm sure it'll take Newcastle a few years as well uh, but I'm sure the uh, the Geordies who have been starred of success let, let's be honest you know I think they've, the last uh, cup they won was a first cup in something like 1976 so they are due one uh, and they've got such passionate fans as well so I'm, I'm sure all that years of, of loyalty uh, they'll be waiting for that you know for that uh, trophy win to say thanks for all for all the support you've given us. Uh, but it will be interesting to see what happens if they do manage to record that uh, first uh, cup win. What happens next? Will that allow them to to go and get these top top players and turn them, the club into a you know a European uh, you know top dog? I'd imagine so, Rob. It feels to me like it's inevitable that Newcastle are going to climb the height. It's just a case of, as you mentioned there, it took Manchester City a while. It could take Newcastle a while, but with the money behind them, you've got to feel like it's going to come at some point. But now, looking back onto the Citizens, Crystal Palace this weekend, again, a fixture they should win. Yeah, it should. It should win. Well, like you said, with City, they're chasing Arsenal. So... Arsenal are clear. I think it's five points clear at the top. So City have to win. If they don't win, Arsenal go clear. And 
even the pressure you know, which is building on Arsenal because obviously they've since the uh, the Arsenal banging years they've never really sort of uh, challenged for a Premier League. So this is a new coach, a new team, and uh, you know it, it will start to dawn on what is happening. So City need to be in striking range when the opportunity comes. But you know, beating a uh, beating you know the likes of Newcastle, if you go away to Crystal Palace and get beat, then it's uh, that's the that's game over for your uh, title charge. It is, and that title charge is very much heating up between City and Arsenal. It's still ever so close, but that's not the only thing heating up. Salford trying to maintain their position in the playoff places. Some good results this week. A 1-1 draw against Barrow. They're 10th in the table, so obviously a very tough fixture. And then a 3-1 win over Newport. They're riding the crest of a wave. They're now going into a game away at Crewe. A local derby, it's a big one. And with that, you'd like to fancy Salford. They're getting ever so close now. Mm. The, the, the division they're in, it's such a tough competition. Tuesday, Saturday, every week against teams that are similar ability and you know, team who can go on a run, win two, three, four on the spin, suddenly finds themselves in the playoff promotion spot. So, Salford picking up these four points in the last couple of games helps them you know, get towards the top of the table. And then when the playoffs happen at the end of the season, if they are in the mix, anything can happen. But they have been quite good, James. You know, they, they've managed to grind out a few results. They've had a few steps, you know, setbacks along the way. But I'm sure, you know, the the the, the players down there, the fans down there, realise where they are on this journey. And I'm sure they'll be uh, looking for more improvement, more successes, and, uh, you know, a very successful end to the season, which might end in promotion. It could do, Rob. That's what we want here at the Sports Zone. We do, James. We do want all our local teams to be successful. And to be fair, we have been super successful, really. You know, we think of, of Man United and Man City, the you know the cups that they've managed to lift over the years, and and Salford City now with the uh, the, the the class of '92 behind them uh, and the money that's available to them. Um, like you said, with Newcastle, is it just a matter of time before they, they find the right uh, sort of combination? They have gone through the leagues, haven't they? Previously. Um, you know, at a rate of knots, and they've found a bit of a stumbling block in the last few years. But this might be the level where they have to go and find some more investment or be a bit more clever in, in the players that they, that they recruit. Because if they can get out of this division and get towards Championship, Premier League, uh, then that's where the big money comes in. And then uh, who knows, we might have three massive clubs in, in the city of Salford. Well, that'd be amazing, Rob. I mean, we want to see Manchester United things, Salford winning things, even Salford Red Devils winning things from a rugby perspective. And it does feel over the you know the past few years, on this show we've discussed so many things, and it's weird how you know from a sporting fan perspective, you in particular, Rob, when Manchester United have suffered, uh, Salford Red Devils have thrived. Yeah. Yeah, it has always been the way I always say. Uh, I've got no way of proving this, James. That there's there's a kind of a thing where if United lose, Salford win, and if Salford win, United lose. And if 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 you look down history, you know, James, that does happen quite a lot. Probably because Man United were the best team in the uh, the Premier League, and Salford Red Devils weren't. But as uh, at the moment, with the success that uh, Salford Devils have had in the Challenge Cup finals, the playoffs we've reached, um, the Super League Grand Finals we've reached, the Man United drop off as well. It, it, it adds strength to this uh, this curse that we that we all have to 
you know, have to hold. But like I said before, there's no way of proving it. It just might be two teams on a bit of a roller coaster ride, and one being up, one being down. It's as if the footballing girls just don't want you to have a perfect weekend. Man. <laughs> it's probably about right. Probably right, James. Really. And but, after five years of doing this show together, this is the conclusion that we've come to. Yeah, yeah, we've 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 gone away from science. We know we're just, we're just going on on how we all feel about it now, James. And uh, I just one day I hope to see Salford Red Devils at the top of the uh, you know Old Trafford lifting uh, the Super League. Uh, grand uh, final uh, cup and uh, Man United winning the European Cup, uh, both at Old Trafford, um, and then my weekends will be complete. Well, that'd be great, but, but judging by your logic, Rob, if Salford Red Devils get to lift that trophy, Manchester United will probably go bust or get relegated. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know how much we can do with that. No, no, but. You know, it is one of them, James. We have to, we have to grow, and we have to accept that some teams win, some teams lose. Talking about teams that lose, James. Talk about the the, the Premier League and the, the scrap at the bottom. It's getting tight in it. It most certainly is, Rob. There's a few teams in and around that stage. I mean, we've got obviously Bournemouth are up bottom, but they're on 21 points, and then Leicester in 15th from 24 so there's only three points separating 20th to 15th and then only a further two points to Nottingham Forest so there is a lot to play for and you know some very big teams are in danger of going down obviously you've got your Leeds who are such a big side you've got West Ham a massive team Leicester who won the Premier League of course not so long ago and then the biggest of the lot Everton obviously who financially it would destroy them Mm. if they went down but at the moment it looks like that's going to happen and they've got 12 days at uh, 12 days 12 games to save themselves yeah and like you said with with premier league the way it's sort sort of built now every team is a good team there's not no whipping boys anymore everybody is as good as everyone else and like you said teams from Notts forest down are in a real mix for this for this uh, you know relegation dogfight um, Everton are a really big club some say maybe the 5th, 6th, 7th biggest club in the land so for them to struggle at the bottom Leeds United you know the pride of Yorkshire you know they've had a, a, a difficult season but how much for these, these owners that own these football clubs it's so important that they stay in the Premier League. Are they sort of finding, building a squad to say, right, we just want to stay in the Premier League. We don't want to achieve and go on and, you know, reach top six, top eight. We just want to stay in the Premier League. And that's the question, you know, when, when you look at the fans, because obviously we love, we always love a battle, don't we? We love a relegation battle. We love a title fight. But if you're in it every season, you only need one, one dodgy season and you're gone. And like you said, your, your club can go, uh, you know, into liquidation or, or, or worse. It's certainly troubling times for the Toffees fans, Rob, and who knows? I mean, if you had to make a prediction right now, do you think they'll survive? Everton, I think will. I remember, might have been about 94, I'm guessing, that they had to beat Wimbledon uh, at Goodison Park, and they managed to, I think it was ride out, I think, or was it Stuart Barnes or something that scored uh, the, the winner to, to keep them up, and... Do I think there's enough in that in that uh, Everton squad to save themselves? Calvert Lewin, such important sort of player uh, for them. If if he can get fit and get scoring, I don't think Everton will have a problem. But he's not, he's missed the last sort of four to six weeks. I think it is with injury out of form as well when he's on the field. So he'll need to find his shooting boots and he need to find him quick to keep the uh, the Everton up. He will because the clock is ticking. 
for the Evertonians, and who knows? It would be so bizarre to see a team of such stature hmm. playing in the Championship. Yeah, and like I said, the history, you know, never going down, you know, in such a long time, and it's uh, it's sad, really, for the Evertonians, obviously, because they think their club is, is should be among the elites. So if they're scrapping towards the bottom, James, it's a real sort of a gut wrenching moment for them. But you know, the likes of Leeds United, West Ham United, you know, teams like that, that have planned to take that leap into, you know, the the you know sixth, seventh, eighth spot in the Premier League and now struggling near the bottom. It's it's, it's difficult for fans to take West Ham with a new stadium and all that. It's you know, they need that Premier League success you know, FA Cup success, that top end of the season finish to finance that. So if they are dropping down to the to the championship, it'll put extra strain on the on the club. It will, because obviously they're not a side accustomed to being in this position and the wages that their players demand are simply not that of a championship side. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real, real tough battle uh, down near the bottom of the Premier League, James. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about it on the Sports Zone on Solver City Radio and we'll be there uh, to tell you what's happening and all the ups and downs, which we're all going to experience the next uh, few months. And uh, I'm sure you'll be tuning in with us. Well, you're absolutely right, Rob. I will be along for the ride to see exactly what happens in this Everton saga. Will they go up? Will they go down? I don't know, but I'm going to keep you updated on the Sports Zone. And for now, we're joined by the man with the greatest jab in Earlham. It's Mr. Paul Whiteside. We're going to be talking <laughs> boxing. And we didn't get the chance last week, but now it's Tommy Fury, Jake Paul. And this fight built up for two years. It was finally settled. Tommy Fury, the better boxer, the better fighter, and he got the win. Yeah, he did. He did, but oh, closer than probably what... Some people thought, you know, split decision wasn't on the cards, and um, yeah, it probably wasn't an easy night for him. But uh, from what I saw of it, which is not a lot, um, I thought, you know, the boxing man won really. The the boxer with the better technique, uh, the boxer with the better skills. The, there's no no doubt that Paul's a, a brave man, um, and in a, a good fighter. But I don't think he's he's anywhere near a professional boxer. Um, so uh, so yeah, I thought the result was right, and I think in the, in a way the result's good for boxing <laughs> because I don't know. I just didn't. I don't like the way people can shortcut. So um, so yeah, I, I was I was I was pleased with the outcome really. And after two years of adversity for Tommy, he's had to pull out of the contest twice. Once through injury, the second time because he wasn't allowed access into the United States of America. It's resulted in receiving mass backlash from the public. They've been saying that he's been running scared, saying that he's not willing to get into the ring with Jake. He finally did, and after the final bell, he burst out in tears. He was screaming like he'd won the World Cup. It clearly meant the world to him. And it was nice to see after such a long period of, of being doubted that he got a moment that was that was his. Yeah, that's right. I think sometimes when a, a fight's built up for so long, and or, or anything, any sort of sporting event, it, you know, you've been preparing for it so long as a professional, and you know, he's probably sacrificed a lot for that. The camp as well, and you've worked so hard. You've not seen your family. You've put your body through the ringer, and then to it all come to fruition on the night, and you get the result. It's probably quite a relief, really, isn't it? So, um, you know, a relief and. 
And I think with, with, with Tyson Fury saying to him that um, he wasn't welcome home and things like that, if he got beat, I think it's probably uh, probably good that he got the result. But yeah, it's, it's probably a massive weight off his shoulders now because probably something's been eating away at him all that time. You have all the social media stuff with it and you know you probably do have the nagging doubts in your mind, what happens if I do get beat? So once you do get the, the win, it probably uh, just, just sort of settles those, those doubts right down in your mind and then it's a positive thing and you can move on to the next challenge then and prepare for your next fight. Most certainly. And a few interesting things about the bout. Firstly, this is something I don't think we've seen before. Both fighters at the end of the fourth round, so the halfway point of the fight, were told the scorecards. And do you think that's a positive that we can put into future boxing matches or are you not a fan of this? Um, it's, it's a new one on me, that really. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I suppose you, you know, there's, there's there's positives and negatives to it, I think. I mean, your positive is your fighter who's down or, or whatever knows what he needs to do um, and he's not sort of um, um, going with his corner and what they say or going with false information. I suppose it's like a live sort of score. It's like football or rugby league or whatever. You know the score, don't you? know what you've got to do. Um, but it's it, I don't know it's it's just unheard of really isn't it in boxing we've never really had anything like that so when you you think about the fights you know in the last sort of few years where we've had you know controversial scorecards and things like that perhaps this you know does it makes it a bit more accountable I think for the, for the judges doesn't it I mean because if they if they weigh off when they give it out after four rounds you know I think they they are a bit more accountable for it than everybody knows don't they? everybody the, the people in the crowd know what's been given so. You know, it could be something that, that comes into boxing in the future. Interestingly enough, they also did uh, an interview with Jake's elder brother, Logan, uh, uh, I think around the, the fifth round. And rather than just playing it to the television audience, they blasted it through the speakers. Logan was able to shout, you know, abusive uh, insults towards Tommy Fury and make accusations over the microphone. And that didn't feel fair that uh, a member of... of of essentially the opposite team was able to, to shout stuff at Tommy because it must have provided somewhat of a distraction. I mean, luckily for Tommy, it seemed to motivate him and he came out and um, and won the next round. But off the back of Tommy winning this fight, he's needing new opponents. Winning a British title might be a stretch too far from him at the moment and that potentially sets up future rivalries for him with somebody like Jake Paul's brother. Yeah, possibly. He seems like that's where, where the money is put... Just where you mentioned that there, I think that to me, it, that's not boxing. That you know, boxing. Yeah, there's a there's an underworld to boxing. We all know about that. And there's a dark side to boxing. But I think as a boxing purist, you know, both fighters, you got their respect, haven't you? And and that to me is an ugly side of boxing where you've got somebody shouting out there and, and being abusive. I mean, that there's no class in that. Um, if that was me, if I was Tommy Fury, I'd, I'd, I'd cut all ties with him and, and just move away from it. I've done my business, I'd beat your brother, see you later, and, and just go a different route. But there's money in that side, I suppose, isn't there? If he fights his brother, there's a lot of money in that. But I don't know, it, it just seems like a complete lack of respect and, and, and class for me. Um, you know, in a sport that's a very brutal sport as well, where you put your life on the line, don't you? And, you know, if you get in that ring, you, you, you both respect each other. Um, to shout things like that and and to behave like that, it's just it's just not how, how I behave, and it's just a bit alien to me that really. But um, I don't know. It, I suppose it adds adds to the um, to the occasion, does it? Like like you say, I, I'm not so keen on these bouts. I think they're a bit of a circus, and um, 
it's not really my cup of tea, but I'm a bit of a boxing pure, a bit of an old-fashioned, really. But no, not my sort of thing. And now looking at that undercard, Paul, because I think a lot of people agree with you, in that main event, there perhaps was a lack of class. But two men who have that in abundance, uh, Abedai Jack and Olunga Makabu, who squared off in an incredible cruiserweight fight for the WBC Championship of the World. And that was a fantastic one for the fans to watch. Yeah, yeah, and and we know Badu Jack's been involved in some real, real tussles, hasn't he, over the over the last sort of five or six years, and uh, you know um, a top fighter as well, and that that's probably one of the, the best fights of the night, to be honest, and uh, you know a real good fight, and as you say, they're two fighters with full of respect and full of class for each other, and I think that's what you like to see in sport, um, no matter what sport it is. I think for me. When there's that, so I mean, yeah, it's great when there's rivalry. It's great when there's bitterness and and there's that bit of an edge to sport because it just, I don't know, it just seems to uh, add to the atmosphere, doesn't it? But I think at the end, it's nice to see respect and um, and you know that sort of humanity. I think when when you do get this bad blood and things said like, I mean, life's too short for stuff like. That. I mean, I, I I'm all for that. It's great to see the the war when they're in the ring, but at the end of the fight, it's good to see people you know come together and embrace each other. But yeah, that the Barry Jack one was a, was, a, was a cracking fight. And now a free weight world champion, he's been in with the likes of George Groves, Nathan Cleverly, James DeGale, Lucien Butte, Darrell, Macabu now. He's fought so many fantastic fighters, and he's not somebody who is stereotypically put amongst the greats. But now, a freeweight world champion, I mean, he's 39 years old, the oldest cruiserweight champion in boxing history now. And surely he's left a fantastic legacy if he does walk away. Yeah, he has. You're just reaming off his, his record there and, and people who he's been in with. Um, he's had a tremendous career, you know, and a good record as well. Some of them have been knocked out once, I think. So, you know, and he, he has, he's, he's, he's got a fantastic record. And, uh, and yeah, he's, he's left a, a great legacy there. And just some of the names that you mentioned there, you know, uh, Stevenson, Cleverly, DeGale, Pascal, these are guys that, um, you know, have been at the top level for a long time, haven't they? And, you know, the best of the best, they really have fought in, in some good divisions there. So, yeah, three-weight world champion, I think, tremendous. And at the 39 years of age, is there any stopping him? Will he carry on? I'm not so sure now whether he will do, but he certainly looks fit enough and hungry enough. Um, he didn't look like you know heavy-handed or you know like he'd slowed down. He, he's still a quality man uh, and still a very fit man, and, and, and still got all his marbles and his faculties as well. So you know, good luck to Barry Jack. But I think he's you know whatever he does, he's he's, he's left a real mark on the sport. He most certainly has. And another fighter who's left a mark on the sport is Manny Pacquiao. And we'll get on to him in just a second. But Conor Ben, it's going from bad to worse in terms of, of PR. And I suppose everybody roots against a villain and ultimately buys their pay-per-views because of that. But the whole situation regarding the drug test and he's just getting worse and worse and worse. It's come out that his excuse uh, and why he's been cleared was egg consumption and that the substance that was banned that ended up in his system has come from the eggs. That particular substance can't be found in British eggs, so therefore he must have been importing them over from abroad. But firstly, what do you make of this whole situation now and the excuses and the fact that he's being lined up to fight Manny Pacquiao, who at this stage is 44 years old and has been in the ring for quite a long time? 
just think his career's just turned into a car crash, James, to be honest with you. Um, you I mean, I, I can't say whether he's guilty or not because, well, you, you know, the, the tests are there and that, but you can, see, you can say what you want, can't you, about eggs and this, that and the other and what I've had. And you know as a boxer what you can and can't have, you know, and what you can't take. And if you fail a drugs test, it's your own fault. You've got, it's not like he's a, he's a sort of a white collar fighter that doesn't know what he's up to. He's a professional boxer with a team around him, a team of nutritionists and people like that who look after his career. Management team, you, you, you know, you've got to be better than that. You've got to be prepared. And he just seems to be trumping over every excuse under the sun at the moment. And, um, you know, I think he's... I'm a big fan, or was a big fan of Conor Ben. Really enjoyed watching his fights, really enjoyed the way he carried on, the way he held himself. He was very exciting. And I've lost a lot of respect for him, really, the way he's, this has been dealt with. And... Um, and to be going down the route of fighting Manny Pacquiao, just don't get it. Just don't get it at all. You, you talk about Pacquiao as an all-time great, but he's like you said, he's forty-four years of age. What are you gaining by by, by going into that fight? You know, I, I really don't know. No, neither do I, Paul. And another thing that's uh, come out this week is that Callum Smith is out of his fight with Pavel Steven, which was meant to be taken this weekend at the MS Bank Arena. It's now looking heavily likely that he's going to be lined up to fight Arthur Paterbiev, so we can perhaps argue over the validity of that in- injury. But regardless, the Paterbiev fight is a good one for Smith, and it's you know one that he'll be the underdog in, but a chance at three world titles. Yeah, well, I'm glad you told me that because I was just uh, I've looked at the uh, the fixtures, the boxing fixtures for next weekend, and I and I could have sworn that Smith was fighting. I didn't see his name on there, so I thought something must have happened. But but yeah, um, yeah, that that's a good fight for him. But do we know what what injuries he pulled out of this fight with James? Uh, to my knowledge, there isn't an official reason other than injury. Right. They've not specified what it is. Mm, does sound a bit iffy, but no, I think I think for Callum, he needs to get back active again, doesn't he? He's been a bit of inactivity there in his, his career, and a guy that came along and blew everybody away in front of him, um, you know, until uh, until his defeat, he was uh, you know, going around like a steamroller, really, wasn't it? So I think for him, I think he needs to get back in and uh, and, and challenge again because you know he's he's not no spring chicken anymore, is he? he's probably coming towards the twilight end of his career now. Um, and he, he needs those big fights, doesn't he? So uh, and emulate his brother as well, Liam. So, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, who he gets lined up with next. It will be interesting. And another interesting move this week in boxing is that Boxer are going to France in Paris, their French debut at the Zenith Arena. Uh, they've teamed up with a French promotion to stage Carlos Takam versus Tony Yoka, an all-French grudge match. And in the Kona main event, Dan Aziz will fight for a European title. And what do you make of this uh, European move from Boxer? Yeah, it sounds good. It's good for Aziz, isn't it? And uh, yeah, it's, it, it sounds like it's going to be a good promotion and, and, a, and a good night. And no, it's good to see boxing get, get spread around the uh, around Europe as well. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it, how it pans out. But there's some there's some good fights on that card. It should be a good event. It most certainly should. And there was an interesting event over the course of the weekend in Newcastle. O'Hara Davis lays out Lewis Richardson with a vicious left hook to the body to bank his shot at a world title, and we wish him all the best of luck in that fight. But Richardson, at one point, somebody who was viewed as a potential world title winner, somebody who was going to fail at St. James's Park, and it's just not quite worked out for him. No, it's not, to be honest with you. I mean, I remember him coming on the scene, um, Lewis Richardson sort of maybe five... 
well, sort of seven eight, seven or eight years ago, we'll say now, and he had a good, a good run, didn't he? Good record. Remember his knockout of Scott Card. That was a one a good win that he had down. I think the Robbie Javis Junior fight as well was a good win for him. He was, he was going along nicely. Got a couple of defeats there on his uh, on his record, but came back well. You know, recently the last couple of years had a good couple of results. And the O'Hara Davis, I know he was very confident uh, of taking out O'Hara Davis, but you know Davis is a very very tough man, very very hard, a vicious body shot puncher as well. And I was surprised with that result. I, I really was. I fancied Richardson, especially in Newcastle with his own crowd there. I thought I thought he'd just have enough to to get through that. But Davis, you know, went into the lion's den and and did the business really. And um, you know, a big defeat that for Richardson. That's that's one that's going to hurt him. And you know, where does he? Where does he go from there now? That, that could be a real defining moment in his career, that but But yeah, a guy that, that, that was, that was was very hyped up by Sky and I think people expected him to go on and win a, a world title you know, earlier in his career, but for some reason or other, it's not worked out for him uh, like he would have liked. In the other news, we've wanted it for such a long period of time. It's finally signed. We've finally got a date. Showtime have announced the pay-per-view. Javonta Davis versus Ryan Garcia. And in terms of pay-per-view bouts, I know we just had Fury Paul, which I'm led to believe that about 775,000 pay-per-view buys. But is this going to be the biggest pay-per-view event of the year? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Um, for, for boxing people, definitely. You know, Garcia and Davis, you've got two fighters there who are special. I mean, you've only got to watch Ryan Garcia on his social media and things like that. The, the man is so entertaining to watch in his training and, you know, the speed of the man. Both both fighters, elite fighters, aren't they? This should be a tremendous contest. Um, this isn't Mickey Mouse. This isn't YouTubers or, or people like that. This is two blokes at the peak of their career. Tip-top fitness, tip-top fighters, you know, so much skill, so much power and, and speed. It's um, yeah, it's a it's a real fifty fifty for me as well. But definitely, it's I think this one will be this one's worth worthy of pay per view. I know we we see fights on now, and you know sometimes they're just like British British bouts or whatever. I think the um, the Eubank Smith fight was wasn't it? Won a world title or anything? But that was that was pay per view. But if anything on that now, but I think this one is worthy of pay per view definitely. Most certainly, and we've got a big weekend coming up. We've got this French show. That'll be one that I imagine a lot of Sky Sports viewers will be watching, and obviously there's the DAZN bill as well in Liverpool for the people of Merseyside. But for now, that's the end of the boxing. I'm going to pass it back over to good old Rob Parkinson to talk rugby league. Yeah, let's start with the Salford's defeat away at Warrington this week. They went down 36 points to 20. Talk us through it, Paul. The game of two halves, Rob. Uh, it certainly was I know it's an old cliche but Salford I thought were excellent in the first half Warrington came out um, and were good early doors were quick early doors that that try that they got early on was, was coming but after that Salford really every time they moved the ball wide they caused Warrington problems and made a lot of line breaks in the, in the first half I thought Tyler Dupree and Oliver Partington were excellent um, we really did uh, did play well. Ryan Briley scored a, scored a great try there, showing real real pace. Great pickup from Ken Seal, and we went in leading twenty points to to six at half time. And, and you thought to yourself, "Wow, we've really got a chance here of turning Warrington over." We've had a, a great start to the season. Second half, things just seemed to to conspire against. I think there's a lack of composure. We looked a bit dodgy under the eye ball every time the ball went in the air. Dion Cross, I think, got caught out a couple of times. Ryan Briley did, um, and the momentum of the game changed. It really did. Warrington up the ante. Ryan Briley got Simbin. I think when he was off, they scored three tries, and and that that killed Salford off. Really, it didn't help with the two eight point tries. 
Um, there was a lot of six agains against us and penalties. And, you know, when you get that sort of tidal wave, modern rugby league now, you can't stop it. Especially when you've got a team like Warrington with the size of the pack they've got, you know, wheeling on blokes like Sam Cassiano who are running at you and, you know, Paul Vaughan. I thought their pack's absolutely massive. So, but it was a good game. It was a really entertaining game. And, you know, I think one thing that we did prove on Thursday night was, all right, we lost the game, but we proved that we there's a lot to us. There's a lot more to, to come from us, I think. Um, I think we'll get better as the season goes on. And I wasn't too disappointed with with, uh, with the defeat. Um, I didn't think it was a million miles uh, off Warrington, to be honest. So Warrington's probably one of the best sides in the league. Yeah. Obviously, like you said, started very well, uh, leading uh, in the first half. What, what do you think changed? Why did Warrington manage to find so much momentum uh, and Salford lost theirs? Well, I think rugby league can change that sometimes. Um, like I said, there, there seems to be a lot of those six agains, and that's a rule that I'm not so keen on. That I mean, in the first half, we didn't seem to get any of those, and we made, yet we made ten breaks. So surely there was those times where Warrington held us down, and, and you, you do it. You hear supporters say, "Oh well, Salford did this; they were spoiling it. They, they held down; they lay offside." Every team does. Every team likes offside, and I never get that the way referees can sort of go one way and not the other because you know both sides are, are committing events that's just what happens so so yeah I didn't get that and I, I think Paul Rowley will probably want to have a word with the referees and just say you know what what are we doing wrong because we seem to be giving a lot of those away we seem to give a lot of penalties away we had a man simbin at Lee we got another man simbin in that game and, and it cost us it could have cost us at Lee that simbinning could have cost us there so I think we need to look at that and just you know there might be things we need to fine tune in the game I think credit to Warrington though they're a good side They've got a good pack of forwards and they got going in that second half, got the momentum, they started with possession. And when you do that, as you know in, in rugby league, Rob, if you can keep the ball and stop the other team getting the ball, they're not going to score. You're going to have the possession and the territory and, and you get the momentum and, and, and win the game, don't you? And with the class of player Warrington have got, I mean, look at their halfbacks. You know, George Williams there and Josh Drinkwater, they're probably two of the best halfbacks in the league. So they had them in that big pack, plenty of pace out wide. They're a good side and, you know, 20 points to six at half time I thought it was like a dream you know to go in with that score so uh, so yeah we got a bit of a backlash in the second half and, and they came out on top yeah Ryan Briley sin bin for holding down correct decision not correct decision what do you think I thought I don't know I thought it was a bit harsh I mean I think the way it is now Rob I think you could sin bin every player on every tackle there's always something you can sin bin someone from I and mean, there's a number of occasions in that game where Sam Cassiano didn't play the ball you know, he's such a big man, he's trying to play the ball quickly and he didn't play the ball, but yeah, he wasn't penalised. So I think referees can, it's like the six again, it's such a grey rule. You could put, you could blow a six again on every single tackle for something. You could pick something up. Um, I think what, what made that one worse with Briley was Josh Drinkwater threw his arms in the air, didn't he? And he was saying 10 minutes to the referee, which, which I don't like. I think, you know, that's... Um, it's not very sporting like that, really, trying to referee a game. I think there's a few occasions in the St. Helens Leeds game on Friday night where, you know, players are trying to referee it and, and, and police the game, which I don't like. But, you know, Ryan's got to be smarter than that. You, you know away from home when you've got the crowd on your back. You know, if somebody breaks through, you've got to get off straight away, haven't you? So uh, it was a big decision, that, and, and one that ultimately cost Salford. Yeah. I think what it is, players, Paul, you just get a feel, don't they? You get a feel of how long they can hang on before a particular referee will penalise them. Briley's reaction to being penalised was 
or of surprise than anger. So he, in my opinion, he's thought, hang on that little bit more, that two-thirds of a, a second more, and the referee penalised him. And like you said, referee, every referee is different. Every referee has an interpretation of the rules. And it was harsh what what happened there. And it, it changed the game for me, Paul, because obviously you look at the first half, Warrington scored first, and then Solford hit back with a try from Ellis Longstaff. Second half, Warrington scored first again, uh, and then we have a bit of a seesaw. Briley gets put in the bin. And then that next ten minutes, wanting to take over, and that's the that's the difference between winning a game and losing a game. It's it's finding a moment in that particular period which wins your or wins your or loses your game. Unfortunately, that second half, so found that moment lost them the game. Yeah, you can't afford to give a team like Warrington that much possession. Mm. I think the first half, Salford's completion rate was about 95%, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, they didn't really make any mistakes. I don't know what it was in the second half, but there was a lot more errors in the second half and and a lack of composure, I think. I think there's a big turning point in the second half for me where we got a penalty goal, a kick a goal, um, a penalty in, in our half. And we'd not had any ball. Warrington had all the ball for the first 10 minutes. And we took the sting out of him. We got a penalty within kicking range. And for me, we should have run it. Because we'd not had any ball. We should have run it then. If we'd have scored there, we'd probably won the game. But we decided to go for the two. Mark Steve missed it. And and, and that it, it's another sort of, I mean, it's, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But for me, I, I got the impression behind the sticks at the game, we should have run that there. Because it, it, we needed. We were desperate for possession. We'd not had any. And then you, you try and go for goal. So, so yeah, it's little things like that. But I, I, I think even with 13 players, and I think that would have been a, a tough ass to win there because Warrington turned the, the screw in the second half and, and had all the ball and, and they were like a tidal wave coming at us. So I think even with 13 men on the field, we might have found it difficult to win that game. Yeah, two penalty tries were awarded uh, for Warrington. What did you make of, of the two decisions by the referee there and how it affected the game? Very soft. I thought it was soft, Rob. I mean, my 30-odd years of watching rugby league, I think I've seen eight-point tries maybe... Two or three times. I remember Jackson Easton getting one against Toulouse at Salford. I can remember one, an international game, there being one. Um, and then another one, a team against Salford got one years ago, and I can't remember what it was, but that's three in like 30 odd years. Then you get two in half an hour in a game. <laughs> oh, so I, 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 the Dupree one for me, I think he was committed. I think that was soft. Um, I don't think there was any intent there from him. The Callum Watkins incident, I've not really seen to be honest, so I can't really comment on that. But it's it's soft, and I mean, I'm not going to go to the referee, but there's certain referees at the moment that that seem to like to take the limelight. Sometimes I think Jack Smith's one of them for me. Um, just referee the game. I mean, the referee. I can't remember who the referee was. I think it was, was it Liam Moore against. Oh, sorry, it's got McAllister against the whole KR game. I can't remember who it was, but we played all KR the week before. And it was a, it was great. He let the game flow. There was hardly any penalties, only six to end. and that's what you want to see as a supporter. You don't want to see the referee keep blowing up every five minutes. And I think there's certain referees that let the game flow, and there's certain referees that like to stamp their authority. And for me, Smith Smith's one of them. Yeah, I think the du- the Dupree one. Um, if obviously we, we've we've played rugby league at any kind of level or watched rugby league at any kind of level, that moment when a player goes over the line behind the post and defenders are sort of coming back it's, it's really a kind of a, a discipline moment where the defender he looks at it and thinks it's a free shot on the on the try scorer so it happens a lot in rugby league and I'm sure that's why the decision was made because they're trying to clean that up but it will be interesting to see what happens next you know in the Super League with the games coming up 
when that scenario happens again, does another eight point try happen again? If that scenario happens again, another eight point try is given. I'm all for it. Happy days. Because we don't want, you know, people to get injured as, as they relax because they think they've scored and then someone comes in and, and crunches them, you know. But we'll wait and see what happens in the next few weeks and see if that decision is reenacted. The Callum Watkins one was a high tackle in the tackle, but he is diving um, to try and stop him. Um, technically, it is a high tackle as he crashes over the line. That is why it's an eight-point penalty. But how many times does somebody dive over the line when someone's around someone's head? Like I said mm-hmm. about the Dupree uh, decision, if another, if the next game or the next few weeks that scenario happens again and another eight-point try is given, happy days. But we'll have to sit and we'll have to wait and we'll have to watch to see what the officials do next. I think there'll be loads of them, mate. I mm-hmm. think you'll see loads of them now. There always seems to be something every season what the referees get on. and It's like a different rule and there'll be loads of them. So I think you'll see plenty of them coming. But for me, eight-point try should be... Should be something for something when it's reckless. If it's reckless and really dangerous, I think that's when you should be should be giving those. I don't think they should be going out out for fun. But like the six again ruler, I think at the moment referees have got too much influence on the outcome of matches. Uh, with that six again, it's so great you could blow them up all the time. So um, so yeah, not not my favourite rule at the moment. No, no, but. It's one of them where, like you said, every season there's always a new rule or interpretation that comes out and referees flex and we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully it all calms down in the next few weeks and we can carry it. And we talk about the rugby more about the more than the man in the middle. Um, talking about the rugby, Solvers next game, Hull away on Saturday. Opportunity to bounce back. I think Hull FC away, the Boolev, uh, the KFC Stadium will suit Salford's style of play. Very wide, very big, lots of spaces for Salford's backs to, to flex and attack. Yeah, well, we did that against Warrington. We, every time we moved the ball, we looked dangerous. Um, so, so yeah, it's a nice big wide pitch there. We've not got a very good record there. I think we've won three out of about 25 there So uh, since they moved to that ground. So we've got a poor record. Hull are coming on the back of a defeat as well. They got lamped in, in, in Catalan against the Catalan Dragons. So other than that, they've had a decent start and won two two matches. But I don't think their defence is brilliant. They've, they've conceded quite a lot of points this season so far. So, so it should be a good game Saturday. I'm looking forward to that. It's always a a decent trip going up to Hull but it'll be a tough game there's no doubt about that it will be tough for us and hopefully we've got um, you know some players you know a good squad out because we picked up a few injuries I mean Alex Gerard was out wasn't it? I think he's got about six weeks out now so I'm not sure whether we've picked any other knocks up but very impressed with Ellis Longstaff on uh, on Thursday night against Warrington I thought he was, was man of the match for me I thought he played really well for Salford yeah uh, let's move on to our Salford Red Devils ladies they had their first friendly of the season, they played Wigan Warriors at Salford City Roosters and went down 38 points to four. Chris Bates, ladies, move into the Super League 2. We'll be playing against tough opposition uh, and it's obviously only a friendly, but it's just marker on where they are, where they need to be. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we talk about friendlies. I mean, Salford got well beat against Wigan in a, in a friendly, didn't they? And then won the first league game in the season. So, uh, I don't think pre-season games mean all that, but no, it is a mark, I and mean, it's going to be a tough season. It's probably, you know, we've moved up uh, in the league now to the, the Super League too. You know, Wigan quite an established side. They've they played for a number of years now, so it, the Salford ladies are going to um, probably not going to have it all their own way this season. They're going to have to work hard, and it's going to be a stepping stone for them, isn't it? And a learning curve as well. So um, it's 
it's going to be a difficult season, but I'm sure they've got the the, the staff and the playing staff to to get through that. And uh, yeah, bit of a lesson today. They'll learn things from that, though. You learn a lot in defeat sometimes, don't you? Learn, you know, new processes and what you need to do. You need to be better. You need to be fitter or whatever. So I'm sure they'll have learned from that today. They'll watch the video back and be prepared for the next game to to go again and uh, and try and turn it around. Yeah, brought some new faces in as well. So, obviously, like you said, there's a big step between Championship Rugby and Super League Rugby. I'm sure Chris Bates will be looking at the video and, and you know, seeing where it went wrong and where it can go right in the next few weeks. Yeah, that's right. That's how, how rugby league works. That's how sport works, isn't it? You've got to learn from mistakes, haven't you? And uh, you know, moving up a league is always is always tough. You know, the, the standard is is a step up. So, you know, sometimes it takes you a bit to get used to that and uh, and, and get to grips. There's not many sides move up a division in any sport and, and sort of hit the ground running and win all the matches and wallop everybody. So, you know, you've got to get to the speed of things. And uh, I'm sure he's got a good group of, of players there, hasn't he? And uh, you know, I saw Louise Felling the other week at the okay game I was having a quick chat with her in the press room she's doing some good work on the radio actually enjoy listening to her and she was very very confident about the season um, even though she keeps telling me she's getting on a bit now she still looks in uh, good condition and enjoys leading the ladies so I think they'll be fine she's still available to sponsor if any companies out there want to, to sponsor her one of the ladies or one of the men's team in, in both of our uh, local clubs it's an opportunity to you know put some money into the clubs and help them grow and obviously provide equipment for the players because they put the bodies on the line week in week out Paul so if anybody out there wants to sponsor Louise or any other players we're both Salford and Swinton get yourself involved yeah, definitely. The players deserve all the support and help. The uh, you know the like you said, they put the bodies on the line week in week out, don't to provide us with entertainment and a club to watch. So uh, so definitely help them if you can. Yeah, let's move on to Swinton Lions. They were at home to York City and lost forty points to nil. York City are a very good team. Uh, Paul obviously defeat will uh, sort of sting the Lions, but we have to realise where Swinton Lions are. They know their ambition is to stay in the Championship uh, and push for a a mid-table spot. York's is to push for a Super League spot. So it was a bit of a mixed match, unfortunately. But we'll just have to turn turn our heads and move on because that's what it is. That's what it's all about, really. Yeah, difficult day for for Swindon. I know they had a, had a good couple of weeks, didn't they? They went at Batley and then brought it back down to earth last weekend in a surprising result, really. And then um, today, I expect I thought they would, might have got a result against against York because I've, I've looked at York squad and yeah, they've got one or two sort of older players in there and some players who perhaps. You know, coming towards the end of their career, and how we played in Super League and things like that. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're a funny side. So um, it was, it's always going to be difficult in the Championship anyway. I think you don't get any easy rides in the Championship. It's a real tough league, isn't it? I've just seen the scores from the weekend, and there's been some some surprising scores again. You know, Sheffield beating Widnes, and Widnes are looking really tough. So they've had some good wins. So that was a bit of a surprise score, and Halifax beat Batley. I think. Featherstone play Monday night, don't they? So, yeah, it's up and down at the moment. I mean, last week Toulouse beat, uh, were beating at Bradford, so everyone seems to be beating each other at the moment. But no, a tough, a tough day for Swindon. But they've had a decent start to the season. They picked up some wins, and uh, you know they're not doing too bad at all. Yep, Swinton Pride Builder uh, have provided a warm-up shirt for the Swinton Lions. It's like a blue shirt uh, with a big line on the back that says Swinton Lions to help raise uh, funds for the club. £30 it is, Paul, so 
it's great, obviously, you know, the people of Swinton are, are getting behind uh, the Lions, obviously. The situation they're in, every penny, every, uh, penny uh, matters like every supporter matters. If you're a Swinton fan and you're listening to this, and you haven't been down for a while after, since you left uh, Station Road and you think you listen to us talk about them every week on the Sports Zone, get yourselves down there and support Swinton Lions. They're doing really well uh, in, the, in the Championship. You know, they're coming up from the, the second division where the, uh, we were very competitive. So you're hoping, obviously, after your York, York, York ran, ran through them this week, uh, they'll be able to bounce back. If you've not been since they played at Station Road, Rob, you've not been for a long time. A lot's <laughs> happened since then. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I know you got the people at Swinton, like the Pride Builder, people who get involved with that, and the uh, Swinton Line Supporters Trust. You know, there's people there who are very loyal to that club who do an awful lot of good work and a lot of work off the pitch as well, and volunteering and that. It's a real tight. Tightening club is Swinton, and uh, and yeah, I think they'll be okay this season. I, I think they'll stay up in the championship. I think there's 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 matches there that they can win, they can compete. Yeah, they've had a bad defeat this weekend, but you'll learn from that. Alan Coleman will learn from that. Um, you know, it does take a while to get up to speed. You know, it's difficult when you get nilled, especially at home. But uh, but no, I'm, I think they'll bounce back from that. And uh, you know, next weekend's going to be another tough weekend for them. But you know, they'll learn from it and, uh, and move on. Yeah, 40 seconds to go. Challenge Cup uh, for the Lions. Uh, Barrow away. Opportunity to, to move to the next round. Tough game, that, Rob. It'll be a mm. tough game. Going to Barrow, it always has been there a few times. We saw and it's never an easy ride going there. Um, Challenge Cup as well. Real prestigious competitions. Coming thick and fast now, the Challenge Cup. Um, very excited to, to see how that pans out this weekend. I think Swinton, though, will just edge that one, but I think it'll be a tight one. It will. Obviously, Swinton have a very good uh, you know, record in the Challenge Cup back in the, the, the glory days of, of Swinton Lions. I'm sure they'll be looking to get through the rounds and, and generate uh, money for the clubs. That's important for everybody uh, in rugby league. So, big thanks for tuning this week's uh, Sports on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>